the Cybersecurity and Compliance Podcast with Craig Petronella. Learn about the most current IT security threats in ransomware, phishing, business email compromise, cybercrime tactics, cyber heist schemes, social engineering scams, as well as hints and tips from leading professionals to help you prevent hackers from penetrating your network and dropping ransomware or malware payloads. This podcast will arm you with the best info to defend your network against the latest cyber crimes. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And now, here's your host, Craig Petronella. You're listening to Cybersecurity and Compliance with Craig Petronella. Visit us online at petronellatech.com. Hey, Sam. How are you today? Hey, Craig. I'm doing well. Yourself? Good. Welcome. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, I, what's that? How's your day going? Good. It's pretty busy. This um, DFARS interim rule is um, it's pretty busy and causing a lot of people to need help. But ever che- your world is ever changing. <laughs> That's exactly. Like mine right. changes once a year. Yours is changing like once a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was a webinar last week from Katie Arrington uh, around the DoD DFARS interim rule and. How it affects over 300,000 federal contractors, and there's a, a lot of questions around that. Some folks were thinking that they were not needing to upload their self-assessment to the SPRS database by November 30th, and she said pretty much everyone needs to upload it unless you're what's called COTS or off-the-shelf commercial off-the-shelf products. Um, but yeah, so. There's a lot of questions around it, and I think that even if even if folks don't fall into the controlled unclassified information bucket, I think they should still do the self-assessment process. It's freely available to everyone, mm-hmm. and it's only going to help everyone. I mean, it's only oh, going to help improve the cybersecurity of their company. So right. even if they, um, you know, fiddle through it, <laughs> you know, and, but if they get stuck, just reach out to a cybersecurity specialist and get help. You know, right. it, you know, it's only going to help strengthen their organization and increase their cyber maturity level. And, you know, I think it's a good thing all around. Yeah, I, I wish I could say if everyone was self-motivated in this realm, but it's usually the threat of either uh, severe cuts to revenue or even fines. Um when I say cuts to revenue, I really mean you know a suspension in operations, uh, or the threat of it. That's really what it, what motivates folks. Um, other than applying or uh, complying with you know federal guidelines for HIPAA or anything else. So you yeah. hate to sell by fear, or <laughs> but I guess people just have to see more of it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Uh, I, you know, when I went through the CMMC training, they talked about the False Claims Act and they talked about why the CMMC came about and they talked about the self assessment and self assessment process just not working well for folks. And, and that's where I saw that it just really affects a lot of different industries or it will because it, you know, for example, with PCI or payment card industry compliance, you know, for folks to take credit cards. I mean, almost every small business takes a credit card. So they're supposed to do the self-attestation of PCI compliance. So they typically go to 
you know, if they're using Square or some vendor to, to authorize .NET to take um, credit cards, they're supposed to do that self-attestment process. And they're supposed to do that once a year. And it's usually like 50 or 60 questions. But a lot of people just click, click, click and click next and, and submit. And they don't realize, you know, they don't realize what they're they're clicking on. It's kind of like going to a new website and accepting the terms of use. And it's like, look, if you don't accept the terms of use, you need to leave, right? But most people are like, no, I want to buy whatever. Or I want to see whatever they got. So they just say yes, yes. And they just move on. Right. But, or an insurance application. <laughs> I get yeah. 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 Yes, yes. So, um, I mean, I, I, I guess my point is I think the CMMC is a good thing. I think that it's the, the third party uh, involvement, the third party looking over your shoulder and making sure that you're doing all the stuff the right way. And you have two forms of supporting evidence for each of the 110 plus controls and, you know, coming on site to your office and making sure this is done. I think that's a game changer. I think that that's going to greatly affect your industry and and by all means, introduce yourself, Sam. I mean, welcome. I appreciate sure. you coming on board. Um, yeah. Happy to have you help answer any kind of cybersecurity um, insurance questions for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my name is Sam Brown. I'm the vice president of, of the Human Services Group here at Rancho Mesa Insurance Services. We're a, a commercial property casualty and health benefits agency uh, focusing on certainly uh, cyber liability as well as uh, workers' compensation, directors and officers' liability, uh, general uh, liability, property, and auto as well. Uh, we have two main um, verticals, which would be the health and human services, that's nonprofits, healthcare, education, and then construction. Uh, that being said, many of the insurance lines that we sell are going to apply to many, many different industries across many different states, such as workers' comp or directors, directors and officers' liability and cyber liability, which is why we're, we're talking today. So happy to talk about what I know, or at least what I ha have learned since March in how employers need to be ever more diligent in communicating and training to their employees who are, who are now virtual, uh, what they ought to be doing. So um, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're on the risk management side. Thanks. I appreciate you coming on. Um, so Talk about a little bit, if you don't mind, about what a small business should be looking for in a cybersecurity policy. What, what are some of the gotchas? I know you mentioned before about cybercrime coverage, and right. um, <clears throat> maybe you could just kind of talk a little bit about that for a minute. Yeah. So cyber liability insurance, it goes by a couple of different names. It might be data compromise uh, insurance as well. Um, it does a number of different things. They've become very broad in the various triggers um, for coverage. So obviously if if your information or, or if your system as, a, as an employer, as a company has been breached and very sensitive information, whether it's health information, um, social security numbers, just any information has been out there, it could be that you're subject to a lawsuit and another company were to to sue you, you would have um, coverage for the defense costs, for the, so the attorneys who are going to defend you against those allegations, and then any settlement or judgment that does come to pass, uh, you'd have coverage for that as well. But a 
aside from that, you really have a lot of different coverage which are going to come into play. So you could have coverage for administrative penalties, such as uh, HIPAA fines. Um, if your system were to get hacked and uh, you have ransomware where it says, you know, hey, Craig, um, you know, my name is uh, Sergey, and I have locked your system up and, you know, you need to pay me 10,000 Bitcoin. And if you do, I'll, I'll free up your system. If you don't, you know, best of luck. Um, the insurance uh, carrier is going to do their best to send in a forensics team um, after carefully monitoring how much that would cost the insurance company, of course, and try to free you up. And if that doesn't work or if they feel like it's cheaper to, to send in the ransom to free you up, they'll do that as well. But then hopefully uh, that forensics team will be able to quickly patch up those holes, right? Um, so it doesn't happen again. Um, there's also going to be the cost to um, uh, to notify everybody whose information may have been compromised. So you may remember a couple of years ago, uh, you know, Target and a lot of other large retailers may have been hacked, um, and they have to, by law, as we all do, send notification via U.S. Postal to everybody and say, "Hey, if you shopped here between the months of." December and January, your information may have been compromised and we've enrolled you in free credit monitoring. So it's going to respond to, to that as well. And then cyber policies are also going to have, as you mentioned, the cyber crime component. So um, that cyber typically means stolen data, but the cyber crime is going to reference uh, stolen money and security. So that's going to be um, computer fraud and funds transfer fraud are the two big ones in that category like business um, email compromise where if you're tricked with a phishing email into wiring funds or sending gift cards to well um, that's that's the next one that would that yeah. would um, that's commonly <laughs> referred to as social engineering mm -hmm. or voluntary parting so let's say that uh, you know i'm the president of a company and i'm going to minnesota uh, on business for for a conference well, the bad guys, as you know, Craig, the bad guys will sit on my email if they've um, if they breached us, and they'll they'll know exactly what's happening. They know my travel plans. They know they they're watching my email going back and forth with everybody at the company. Yep. Well, at the at the right time, uh, they're going to email somebody with control of funds at my company mm -hmm. and say, "Hey, this is Sam. I'm I'm in Minneapolis. I just got in a terrible accident. I don't have my health insurance coverage. Can you? I need you to wire me twenty five thousand dollars." And this works, um, you know, fortunately, a lot of time it doesn't. But uh, if it were to work, that is also coverage that can be found on a cyber liability insurance policy. So a number of different triggers for coverage, uh, but that, that's a pretty good overview. And uh, just a few weeks ago, I remember watching on LinkedIn a post from an attorney saying that they, um, that they passed a law or, or something around no longer being able to pay the the cyber criminals um, in the example that you gave, like with Bitcoin, you know, so say they lock you up with ransomware, they trick your your employee or yourself into clicking on a on a you know a fictitious link or a spoofed link that looked like it came from a trusted source. They lock mm -hmm. your systems up, they encrypt it, 2048 bit encryption or so, and then they demand um, in 24 or 48 hours three Bitcoin payments to somewhere. Um, I was watching a thread from a data privacy attorney, and he was saying that if the criminals are on, um, I forget the list, but it's basically like the blacklist for our country. You know, if they're in 
maybe a sanctioned area of Russia or China, for example, <clears throat> if they're on that list or a terrorist list and you're found to send them the ransom payment, the three Bitcoin, you can get prosecuted for money laundering. Have you heard about that? I haven't heard about the money <clears throat> laundering, but I have heard that um, they're watching this closely because they're really trying to stop all payments, all sources of support of any sort of illegal activity, right? <clears throat> yep. Um, so insurance companies have deep pockets. That's why people get sued. Um, so yeah, if insurance companies are in the habit of making these ransom payments, um, one quick way to end that would be uh, to put in some legislation that would disallow <laughs> it. It would, you know, might create a, a little bit of a headache for employers or, or for the policyholders. Um, but as long as there's an understanding that there isn't coverage, you know, when you're purchasing the policy, then you just you know, I mean, you're in the habit of implementing best practices, right? So ever the more reason for to, to help uh, employees get trained up, you know, you, as you know, and you can test the employee workforce to say, you know, hey, we're going to we're going to randomly test a few employees and just see if they click on the link they're not, that they're not supposed to. That's right. All those measures are just going to be so much more important. Absolutely. And and those drills are important, too. So it's not only important to have the policies and procedures and the security controls, but actually do the drills and test your employees each month and make sure that they're not clicking on things they shouldn't be. And then if they are, send them back to boot camp and get them trained up. Because, you know, if you've got employees that are not trained and they're clicking on stuff that they shouldn't be, that's going to lock you up and get you in a, a real bad spot real fast with these mm -hmm. Ransomware. I mean, I, I saw another headline. I wrote a blog post about it on how ransomware is targeting hospitals at the moment. And there's a huge uptick from the FBI. There was an announcement. Um, <clears throat> but it all boils down to the same stuff I've been preaching for years, you know. But nobody wants to listen to the proactive stuff. You know, they don't want to, it doesn't, they don't want to do anything until it happens to them, right? Or right. Until, until it affects them. So, it, yeah, that that was very interesting what I was reading about the money laundering thing. And it was also ironic to read that a lot of the, the counties and the state level areas that were hacked with ransomware that I know they tried hard to not pay, but some of them did pay. You know, some of them had to because they'd had no backup systems to restore from. Right. And that's, the, you know, the hackers, they, they do recon to figure that out and see how how you know bad a shape you'd be if you lost all your backups you know and, and if they got your backups and they got your systems they know they got you and they know that there's a high chance for them to get paid right. and you know this is a business to them and it works <laughs> you know it so. works and it's repeatable right yeah like i mean i don't know all the black hat cyber criminals out there what they're capable of but i gotta think that they're not just working on one big hospital at a time Right. No, they're sending out squads and they're 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 right. scripting. I mean, they're I've always said this, they're smart and they're lazy. So they write <laughs> scripts. They right. write scripts. They don't do all the heavy lifting themselves. I just mm -hmm. read a thing this morning. They're buying ads on Facebook now to mm -hmm. attract you and and they get the ad approved and then they switch the link to an infected web server with ransomware. So wow. so they're 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 casting their nets wider and wider to trick people, not just with email phishing scams and social engineering, as you mentioned, but now they're going steps farther. They're going on social media. They're going where you hang out and they're, wow. they're looking to trick you there too. So it's, you know, I've even had some, I've, I don't know if I told you this, but I've had a law, a law firm tell me that they would, 
not want to do all the stuff that I recommended based on this and, and all the preparedness that they're supposed to be doing, and that they would just buy a cybersecurity insurance and just do a payout. Well, so that is that is called a moral hazard, where <laughs> it's like, well, I'll park my car underneath that volcano. I, I have insurance. <laughs> right. You know, but, I think I learned that uh, when I went through my licensing, a moral hazard. So, yeah. Yeah. I've had folks tell me that. I've also had folks uh, where I went to their premise and had a meeting with them. And I said, okay, well, let's look at your server room. And they show me their server room and it's in the men's room. Yeah. And it's right next to the water uh, the sprinkler systems on the roof. And I'm like, you know, if you guys don't hire my company or <laughs> just go get a professional to move this stuff out of here, this is not a spot for electronics. You well, know? And I think that, you know, to your point, all the, all the preemptive measures you can take, all the uh, best practices are, are becoming so important because, you know, now um, with the pandemic having forced um, many of, you know, America's workforce into a virtual mode, whatever controls were there, they need revamping or um, they need to be explicitly communicated and trained in, in the form of a, a work from home policy. So, um, you know, questions that I've been asking or when looking at um, the cyber insurance renewal uh, or policies we have in place is, okay, is coverage going to get triggered if something happens offsite, right? right. So my chief admin officer is working from the living room, helping his, his kids with math, and he clicks on the wrong link. Um, is that going to qualify for coverage? Or if there's a breach uh, into a personal machine, right? A, a, a personal piece of equipment. So it's my own laptop at home. It's not company issued. Maybe I'm missing some security patches. Um, and again, uh, maybe through no fault of my own, my computer gets hacked, or maybe I jump onto some public Wi-Fi at a, you know, at an eatery, um, is coverage going to apply there? Um, and then of course, you know, does it uh, does it include social engineering? But yeah, the the, the virtual component, the, vir the virtual aspect of the workforce, is just um, making it more important to ask those questions prior to you know as you're sifting through the quotes and. And you're absolutely right. And and if you think about it, you know, before COVID hit and people were in the corporate environment, they go to work. They're typically working off of a corporate controlled endpoint, laptop, desktop. The corporation has installed security control software, monitoring tools, backup systems, advanced fire, you know, firewalls, um, intrusion detection systems, all the IT infrastructure, right? If you're a small company, maybe you have pieces of those things. But the, the, the point here is they did, if they did some type of self-assessment or attestation, they did it off of that model, that diagram, right? I'm in the building. I've got physical controls. Maybe I have a, a, a key card or, you know, all these different things. Right. But now COVID hit. So now everybody's working from home. Most businesses did not issue an endpoint that have their security controls on it. They're right. allowing people to work from home. So that's where your BYOD or bring your own device policy comes in, right? Right. And if you don't have one of those, then you don't have any clear direction for the employee to follow what's allowed and what's not. Right. So what happens is you've got a lot of folks that are working from home. Their home computer is not going to be very up to date often. Yeah. You know, most of the time it's going to be out of date. It's going to be an older operating system. 
they're not religious about patching and and checking patches and then patching, rebooting, patching again. You know, they may not be technical. Maybe they never even do that. But my point is that now you've got all these open doors, these unpatched endpoints, and a lot of employees working from home are working with sensitive data. And that could be PHI in healthcare or patient health information or some type of personal identifiable information. So, you know, most of these people that are working from home, not only are their endpoints insecure, but they're usually working off of the internet service provider's modem, which the password is like an eight character, super easy to hack password. It's, it's like sticky noted right on the firewall appliance yeah. or it's the uh it's the employee's home address yeah or something dumb like or their last four digits of their phone number or something dumb like that all it would take is a war driver or some malicious person within range of them sitting in their car and this does happen by the way they sit in their car yeah. they find a, a, an access point they use some freely available open source tools break into your network sniff your traffic Look, see what's interesting, May st- maybe steal something, break into your system, exfiltrate data from you. You might not even know. And oftentimes you won't know because you don't yeah. have technology to te- detect this stuff. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I, read, I read a stat that said that uh, prior to the pandemic, the, um, the FBI would field about a thousand um, reports a day of some sort of data breach. Uh, since March, that's up to three to 4,000 a day. And I got to think it's higher than that now. Oh, I'm sure it's higher um, than that. So those are just the ones that, that we know about. That's right. To your point. But yeah. How many, how many don't we know about? Well, and then, and then also circling back to something you had said, I, I had read that 85% of, of employees that are working on their their own device at home are circumventing their employer's policies and, and protocols uh, you know, downloading games, looking yep. at YouTube, Facebook. That's a great, that's a scary point you made. If I'm going on Facebook while I'm on my lunch break, but I click on a link that I think is leading me to an article about the election or what have you, and they got me. Yeah, and it's so easy. I don't know if you know about keyloggers or keylogger malware. Keylogger malware goes on the black market for about a hundred bucks. It's a piece of software that a malicious actor, bad actor can trick you via social engineering, phishing, all the above, into you clicking on this, this email attachment, maybe it's disguised as an invoice or some PDF attack, whatever, it doesn't matter, that they, they drop the payload on your system. Oftentimes, nothing happens to alert you that anything happened. It may show a, an invoice, you know, it might show what you thought it showed, but maybe you're like, oh, well, this is wrong or it was an error or whatever. You think nothing of it. Well, what happens is once that payload's dropped, you're, oftentimes your antivirus won't detect it because it's called a zero-day keylogger. Well, what is it doing? It's capturing every single keystroke without your knowledge and exfiltrating it right to the hackers. So this is what happened with Target, Michaels, Home Depot, Sony. They all got hacked with a keylogger. Super easy software. You can get into any company and just skirt right through all the security. Wow. And you can't detect it. You can get the latest firewall that they make. You can get the best antivirus that you think that you can find from any maker, model, vendor. It's not going to stop a zero-day keylogger. So the, the, the big tip that I recommend to folks is use a password manager with a passphrase that's greater than 22 characters, mm-hmm. complex. I know that's super hard for a human. But then pair it with something like this. Ever seen one of those? No, what is that? That's a hardware token. This one in particular is called a YubiKey. 
So what that does is you use a password manager. So we're all human, right? I'm, I'm terrible. I've got bazillion passwords to all different things, right? And every, every, every day I log into something, it's like, oh, you need to change your password. I don't even know what the heck my passwords are because I rely on a password manager. But I don't just rely on the password manager. I also use and link it to what's called a hardware token. So I use the two connected together. So if, if I got a keylogger on my system somehow, they could capture my, my long 22-character password, but they won't get in because they need my, my hardware key too. They need both forms. So it's kind of like multi-factor authentication, which I highly recommend enabling for any type of websites that you, you know, right. Box, Dropbox, Facebook, whatever you use, you should enable two-factor. But this takes it a step further because now you're encrypting and using all your passwords, but you're using a hardware token as well. What, uh, what password manager is uh, are, are most effective, you think? Um, there's several on the market. RoboForm is a good one, but I, I'm not sure if RoboForm has updated their system to support hardware tokens. I know LastPass does. You can get a cheap LastPass um, license. So it's less than $200 a year. But right. the token itself, you can go on Amazon, it's like $50 for the token. But this like greatly enhances your cybersecurity. If you go to all your websites and you make sure you have 22 plus character complex passwords, you change them all and you, you protect it with that, that hardware key and, and the big passphrase, that's okay. significantly improving your, your cybersecurity, just doing that, those two little things. Um, it's, not, it's not the silver bullet. I'm not saying you don't have to do policies, procedures, and all the other stuff. You know, right. those are, those are, that's an example of like two security control layers out of the 110 in NIST. You know, but, you know, my point is that anything that we can do, all of us, whether it doesn't matter what business we're in, anything we can do, little steps forward will help. And I believe in a layered approach. So the more little layers that we could do, the better. Yeah, I'm with you. I think um, I had listened to a a webinar a couple weeks ago, and uh, I think we've mentioned most of the tips that they had uh, forwarded on in that webinar. You know, update your devices, right? They're always making adjustments and security patches to address any known threats. Um, beef up your password uh, practices, right? So 22 key uh, characters, uh, characters use sentences, um, never the same, all those things. You know, for me, I mean, I'm not a cyber professional. So I was taking that to heart and saying, okay, here's some, you know, you know Joe Schmo tips that I can use. Uh, and then I thought the two-factor authentication was really good. And we know that, it, like you said, it's not perfect, right? But it's it's a weapon to use in the battle, right? So yeah, there. But but it's a so a lot of business email compromise where you get an email to a C level or or somebody important in the organization that has buying authority. Sometimes they'll get tricked by a hacker into um, maybe they use Microsoft Office 365, for example, and maybe the the phishing email that comes in looks like the login to Microsoft Office 365 on purpose by the bad actors. And it says, hey, log in with your Microsoft credentials, right? Right. And they do that to capture your credentials, to hack you, to to try to get into your your email and spy on your communications to maybe do wire fraud or or something like that. But had you had a two-factor authentication enabled in your Microsoft Office 365 or your Google ecosystem, it would have stopped that dead in the tracks. You would have given them their password if you fell for that, which is bad, obviously, and you should train so that you don't fall for that. But in the event that you did or one of your employees did, 
had you had two-factor authentication enabled, that one security control layer, had you had that in place for everyone in the organization, that would have stopped them in their tracks. It's not perfect. There are ways to, to circumvent and get around that if you're subject to a very sophisticated hacker that can you know social engineer their way around that. My point is though, that's it. you've now elevated your cybersecurity level, right? To a point where, again, most hackers are smart and lazy. If they find that you've got that, they're going to move on to an easier target. Oh, it, it, the analogy, you're right. The analogy is, uh, shoot, what was that called? Do you remember the bar that used to see, I would go across the steering wheel? Yeah, the club. Red. The yeah, club. the club. And simply, I mean, how many, um, how many potential... Uh, car thefts did the club uh, prevent Stop. Yeah. simply by being on the steering wheel. That's right. You know, it's just, just like, uh, you know, the alarm system, on. you know, it, you, you get a sticker or sign from an alarm company, you stick it out in your yard. You know, the sign alone is, is statistically proven to deter criminal activity, smarter right. criminal. I call those layers. So the more, you know, the stickers, a layer, the signs, another layer. Well, maybe you get a camera. That's another layer. Maybe you have a dog, you know, that's another layer. The more stuff you do, and you don't just protect your front door. I mean, you protect all your entry points and your windows and everything else. Right. If you want a, 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 a all-inclusive kind of um, cybersecurity, or in this case, physical security protection level. But my point is by blending all these layers together, you're making yourself the, as, as closer to being unhackable as you can, right? So the right. closer we can get to make ourselves less of a mark, the better. And, you know, some of this stuff does not have to be expensive either. You know, multi-factor is free for most software. You know, the, the little hardware token that I showed you, that's, that's cheap, 50 bucks. You know, the, the latest statistics on what a cost of a breach is, it's over $150,000, $200,000 now. It'll bury a small business, you know. But I still talk nowadays to, to business owners and they're like, I'm not going to do all this stuff. You know, it's too expensive, you know. So the, they've been in business 20 plus years and I, I've never had this happen before. I've never had any problems. I've been in business 20, 30 years. Times are different now. They are. And, you know, they know that, um, you know, if you go after the large department stores, you know, they are better protected than, you know, uh, the, than the small mom and pop pawn shop down the street, right? Which has plenty of information um, or any small any small employer. So it's no less important for a small employer to, to have these procedures in place and then an insurance policy. I mean, I, I hope folks are doing one or the other, you know, either. And, and truth be told, your insurance application is, is essentially a best practices checklist. Are yeah. you doing these yes or no? And you, sometimes you do see some very basic questions answered no, such as, you know, do you have a firewall? Uh, is private health information encrypted? And the answer is no. And, you know, many times if I, if I see those out on application, I'll double check with my clients. Are you, are you sure? Cause this probably won't be a I mean, We want to be honest here. We don't want to, uh, we want to hear a no from the insurance company now rather than after a claim. So let's be honest, but are you sure? And like, yeah, we're sure. I'm like, okay, well, I'll send it in anyway. And a lot of times it won't, they won't offer. And this is, see, this is where I think the CMMC is a good thing. So the CMMC is really the newest, latest and greatest. It's the cybersecurity ISO for North America, for, for the United States of America. Okay. Right. It, 
So it's the most recent um, release of five different levels of how do we secure our, in this case, the supply chain of the Department of Defense. However, it's the, these best practices can be used for any company. Right. And th- there's tools out there that are freely available that can significantly enhance your cybersecurity maturity level. And I think the best part about all of it is you can't fake it anymore. Right. You have to get a third party to look over the IT guy or the company's systems. They have to go there. They can't self-attest. So they have to prove with two pieces of supporting evidence, each of these things are really being done. And and you can't do this stuff overnight and fake it. So it's like, (laughs) I think it's going to be overall painful for a lot of folks, sadly, because it's going to be a wake-up call. But I think that maybe one day it'll be a third-party requirement to get cyber insurance. I think that 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 could happen because it's going to be better protecting the cybersecurity insurance providers like you guys from payouts. You know, you're going to have more secure folks that you're insuring. Yeah. And and I think what we've seen, too, is that in many areas, you know, the Department of Defense has uh, has been sort of a trailblazer. You know, I mean, they talk about there's so many things, so so much technology that was first in a weapon. And then all of a sudden it's it's in our cell phones because you know, GPS, the, for example, worked and it became GPS. cheaper. Yeah, GPS, perfect example. Now it's you know it's in your watch, it's in your uh-huh. you know, heart, it's everywhere. Um, so if the DoD is is uh, sort of leading the charge on the CMC requirements, then it could be that it gets adopted more universally. And you know, I, would, I really, I really think that's true. I, I would trust me. I would love it if no one needs cyber insurance because it's one of those things that's not perfect. And I'll say that about any line of insurance. And, you know, should you have a breach, it's very stressful. You know, oh, you're absolutely. Down. You're down. You mentioned the um, the hospitals. So it was six California and Oregon hospitals that were breached and, and attacked on the same day. And you and I talked about it, but yep. many of these hospital administrators were saying, we're on paper right now. Like yeah. That's, that's, Go back to the Stone Age. Yeah. That is how far we've fallen until we get back up, we are on paper. And oh my gosh, I can't imagine potential uh, lawsuits that could, I guess, arise from this event if somebody's health was impacted because they- Oh, absolutely. The level of care and the manner. And And that's happened before. In in past attacks with ransomware on medical, people have died, you know, because they couldn't get the the health support that they needed because the systems weren't available. There, there was an incident, I think it was in Germany that there was a lot of people died. It was really sad. And yeah, I sent that email to a lot of my clients and prospective clients just saying, Hey, just, just be on the lookout. Just be, be very aware right yeah. now, you know, make sure all your employees, team members, you know, head information officer, make sure they know about all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they probably knew it before the, before me, but uh, just in case they were wondering if it had any insurance, you know, implications, it, it does. Um, because, you know, also on that insurance a- uh, application, it will ask you, have you had any recent attacks? Right. Have you been victim of any recent attacks? Because, you know, they know what you know, which is those bad guys may, may come back. But the scary part is a lot of the folks may not have the technology to know. If something, I mean, there could be somebody lurking on the network. And I'm not saying that to scare people. I'm saying it out of truth. 
from right. forensics that we've done, we found bad actors in, in networks three to six months of spying on communications before they, they, they pounced. Right. You know, so uh, the folks that we were helping, they had no clue. They had no technology to detect or, you know, the hackers were covering up their logs and their trails and things like that. And right. free software doesn't have the security and compliance security control layers to be able to track back. That's another, another good point too. You know, since it's typically a long period of time before uh, an individual or a company learns that they've been breached, oftentimes their backup window doesn't go far enough. Their, mm. their log data doesn't go far enough back. You know, like in, uh, in healthcare for HIPAA compliance, you're supposed to be saving all the logs, the firewalls, the, you're supposed to have all that supporting evidence in the event that you have a breach. Most of the folks that are in healthcare, they don't have that stuff. And that's an example of a control layer. So, so that's what I'm saying. I think the CMMC is, is overall going to be a good thing because you have to show evidence of that. You have to show your logs and show a trail of all that stuff. And, you know, just last week when the CISO of the DOD, Katie Arrington, was talking about the, what's called the DFARS interim rule, she was saying how this affects over 300,000 federal contractors that do business with the DOD. And a lot of people were asking questions and universities were, were like, well, do we have to do it too, universities? And she says, yes, absolutely. There's only two areas that don't have to do it. And it's commercial off-the-shelf, COTS. And there was, there was another one where it was, um, it was something less than $10,000, like a really small, um, it's called micro-purchases. Which, okay. which he called it. So $10,000 or less micro purchases type company. Those are the only two that don't have to do this. And even if you don't fall into that bucket, you should still use the free tools anyway and do the, get the help now. Do Take the action now to do it because it's going to save you so much money and aggravation in the future from avoiding something like a breach. I mean, it could very well save your company. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the insurance companies are getting smarter about um, offering resources uh, to their policyholders to make sure that they are adopting best practices. Sometimes even with the quote, they can do a cursory scan of the dark web and say, hey, the following email addresses were found on the dark yep. web. And, and uh, you know, a lot for me, a lot of times I'll just pass this along to my client with the quote. Honestly, I mean, they already have the cyber, so I'm not trying to resell. I'm just saying, you're you you are exposed you know yeah. please you know I, i'm glad you have the insurance however please make sure that you're staying up to date on on all the new reg, regulatory requirements and and the latest the latest and greatest defense tools make sure you're doing it and absolutely like hopefully they do i mean it's, I, I like to use the analogy of of your health right you know if you go to the doctor you get a checkup you're supposed to do that every year every few years or whatever the earlier you get detection of something bad, the, yeah. the, the more likely you are of survival to mitigate the risk. So if you find something early enough, right. you can take smaller action steps that are oftentimes less expensive to remediate the issue and longer term help you, right? right. It's the same thing, you know? So I think it's a, it's a big deal. And I think that it's going to be um, a, in the next five years, three to five years, it's going to be huge. I think for a lot of different companies and really getting them to take action. Yeah. And we'll see, you know, how long of a, uh, how long it takes for the, the true fallout of everyone moving to, to virtual. Yeah. See what that's going to cost 
the economy, what it's going to cost employers if they're not uh, helping train their their virtual employees to to really follow the protocols. Another insurance piece that uh, might be good for your audience to know is that if you have employees who now that they don't have to be at their cubicle, if they've decided to move away from the office and they're deciding that they like to be a virtual employee and, and the employer is okay with that, and they decide to move out of state, uh, the employer should check with the workers' compensation insurance company. So workers' comp is you know, on the job injuries, okay. um, but they need to make sure that the workers' comp policy that they have in place currently would be able to cover an injury to an employee that's working out of state. Oh, that's uh, a good point. If they will, then great. Just add that person's working address, whether it's um, you know their home address or I guess wherever they might be working there, uh, to the policy. However, if the insurance carrier can't uh, cover an employee living out of state, the employer will have to purchase a second or third or fourth or fifth um, insurance policy to cover those workplace injuries in that extra state. So, you know, we'll have employers that clients that will have a California policy. They may have um, a Colorado policy, um, and then there are some states where you can only purchase it from um, their quasi-state government, kind of like buying it from the DMV. Right. You actually, you have to go there to buy it. So, those are just good questions to ask. It's come up several times where you know an employer has an, a, a a worthwhile, loyal employee that wants to move out of state, those are good considerations to, to, to uh, uh, watch out for. Those are great tips. Thank you. Yeah. What, what about something that came to mind while you were saying that, um, what if you had an organization and you had a bad actor inside your organization, like an employee that maybe was upset that didn't get the, the salary increase that he or she wanted and, mm-hmm. you know, did something negative to the company, whether it's um, data exfiltration to, you know, a foreign entity or, you know, do you have, does a typical cyber insurance policy cover something like that? Or is that a separate thing to consider? So if the bad actor who's an employee were to steal money, um, that would most likely be triggered on a separate policy, which would be the crime policy. So the number one, um, coverage there, there, there would be several, but it's called employee dishonesty or employee theft. And typically a definition of employee is going to be um, intern, volunteer, employee, many times former employee. Um, the uh, If there's a board, a volunteer board, even if they're not volunteer, uh, so it would be those directors and officers as well. And if they do anything from steal gas cards to um, really, I'll give you an example. Um, probably about eight years ago, we had a client who um, they had uh, they had terminated two individuals. Well, the office manager, for whatever reason, um, she kept those two employees on the books, but changed where their payroll went to her bank account. So- oh, wow. Over several months, I think this was over about ten months. She stole, you know, tens of thousands of dollars uh, from the company, mm-hmm. and that's why it's important to have payroll audits. You know, make sure something like that doesn't occur, and sure. um, make sure that the payroll records match the census. But um, yeah, so 
if an employee is going to steal money, whether it's from computer means or otherwise, the crime policy is going to pick it up. And I would certainly, you know, recommend making sure that uh, those limits are uh, reviewed every year. I can't tell you what the limit should be. I wish I always knew the answer to that question. Uh, but it's something that should be reviewed with your insurance broker on an annual basis and make sure everybody's comfortable. Okay. All right. That's excellent information. What about in the situation if, if um, there's bribery, I'm assuming that would cover like if somebody was uh, sending sensitive data to Russia or, or a sanctioned area and then they were going to get paid and you know, Bitcoin or something, but, but a crime hasn't technically been committed yet. Maybe an investigation has to happen. And I'm sure, right. you know, attorneys would have, and counsel will have to get involved in that, but I'm assuming yeah. that, that would fall under. I would say that is definitely something that should be reported. Yeah. Uh, now I would say, I wish all insurance companies were, uh, or at least their adjusters were looking for coverage in the event that a claim comes in. Some are better than others. Um, but hopefully you can work with your broker who will look at the various coverage um, um, conditions and look for coverage. So sure. again, it's always going to depend on the, the hypothetical details of the claim. Who did what? Was it data? Was it money? Who are they working with? Um, but always put the, the my, my recommendation is always put the insurance company on notice as soon as you find out. Because at the bottom of every policy, one of the conditions is, hey, as soon as you're reason you are aware or reasonably should be aware that something has happened, you need to let us know. Even if it doesn't end up either being covered or you wish to pursue it as a claim, let the carrier know. Because you don't want to be six, seven, eight months down the road and you report the claim and they say, well, when did this happen? Right. And they're starting from square one. And that really goes for any insurance policy, whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, errors and omissions policy, liability, auto, uh, you know, a water leak in the kitchen. Always let your insurance carrier know right away. That's a good tip. And that also kind of segues into, you know, almost all 50 states have breach notification laws. So you have to notify there's certain laws around who to notify and when and, and how much time you have when you figure out what happened and all that fun stuff. But that brings me to the segue of it's important if you do suffer a breach um, and, and off, it, actually it's better to, to proactively hire a data privacy attorney to protect you and your company um, from the very beginning, especially when you're supposed to be doing the annual security risk assessments and the annual penetration tests. You wanna make sure that you hire a data privacy attorney that then hires the cybersecurity and compliance firm under their umbrella to get the attorney-client privilege, because mm. that that's very important to get those protections. Otherwise, if you hire the cybersecurity and compliance firm directly and you avoid the attorney-client privilege, all of the findings can become they can be subpoenaed, and and that could really be negatively impacting your company severely. So that's yeah. that's a I think that's a really good um, tip that I like to provide to folks. So if you had to, Sam, if you had to give folks, you know, maybe one or two tips, should they be checking their cyber every year or like, what are some tips that you can give a couple of folks? So I would say uh, definitely a best practices um, uh, step you can take is to review your cyber application every year very closely 
there there could be and a lot of times it's just really easy for anybody to look at that and you know see 20 different questions answered yes or no and to assume nothing has changed uh, but make sure either you fill it out yourself or give it to your IT professional, whether it's in-house or contracted, and have them complete it every year um, so that you know it's accurate. Because uh, you'd hate to see a claim go um, declined or denied because the application uh, wasn't accurate. And then I would really recommend just a really robust um, work from home policy right now that's going to include training on all the cybersecurity measures probably good for everybody to do annually but I think now that we've got a remote virtual workforce absolutely even, even more important so to try to make it simple i would say those are the two things just make sure that your insurance application is up to date and accurate and then make sure you you double down on training your workforce awesome great tips and and we do have training like that available to folks that reach out to our website um, you can sign up for various levels. We have different levels of training for organizations of all sizes. Good. I hope your clients are using it because it's it's going to be important. Um, you know, they ask about it and sometimes they'll sign up for it. We recommend it highly, of course. Um, and then we find that some people don't even realize that they have it. And then we have to remind them to take the test. <laughs> so it's, right. you got to bang them over the head sometimes. <laughs> but um, yeah, you can lead a horse to water. That's uh, right. But, but uh, it, if they it, listen to this podcast, they'll do it. That's right. I hope so. Anyway, <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Sam. Is there what's the best way for folks to reach you? And and you mentioned that that annual um, you know review. Is that something that you do for folks, or is that something that like as a service, or how does that work? Yeah. So, um, well, I can be reached at uh, area code six one nine nine three seven zero one seven five. Again, six one nine nine three seven zero one seven five. You, you can also email me at S Brown, spelled just like the color, at ranchomesa.com. That's R-A-N-C-H-O-M-E-S-A.com. Um, but yeah, what we will do is um, you know, make sure that we go through the applications with our clients. If they have questions on whether or not they're answering it honestly or, or, or I guess in an educated fashion, make sure they know what they're answering. And then we'll go out to the market and find the coverage that's going to respond to um, the new threats that are evolving all the time. And then most importantly, sit down and make sure the client knows what they're buying. And if they're making a decision not to buy something, making sure they understand what they can do to make sure that, they're, that they don't regret that decision. Awesome advice. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate all your help and your insights. This has been fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Greg. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Cybersecurity and Compliance with Craig Petronella. Listen to all of our podcasts on Apple, Google and Spotify. Visit us online at petronellatech.com to book a meeting with Craig about your business. Thanks for listening to the Cybersecurity and Compliance Podcast with Craig Petronella. For other episodes and more information, visit petronellatech.com. Also visit our other websites, compliancearmor.com and blockchainsecurity.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Thanks for listening.
and stay secure.